Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, talent will be a huge key for the Defense Department's biggest IT mission. We've got to start grading ourselves more on the talent management than we do today, not just on the project's delivery at a timeline. Putting the right soldiers and civilians in place to manage tech improvements. The Army has some cutting edge things like you're talking about, but we have to make sure our workforce is prepared, and that's a big part of the Army's talent management strategy as we try to move forward. And the phishing tests at the Justice Department are getting pretty sneaky. We actually create these phishing emails and we take a person's name. For example, we could send an email to a Francis Rose and see if you will have the propensity to click on that link because it is addressed to you personally. It's Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Talent managers across government have new guidance from the Office of Personnel Management for building talent strategies. The director of OPM, Kieran Ahuja, writes to agency chief human capital officers. The new guidance can help agencies develop their strategic plans for 2022 through 2026. Ahuja writes the guidance includes, quote, specific instructions and recommendations for creating the plans. The new principal deputy U.S. chief technology officer is a government veteran. Alexander McGilvray will take that job in the Office of Science and Technology Policy. He served as Deputy Federal CTO during the Obama administration. Most Army reservists can make the transition to the Army's new email and productivity platform remotely. The Reserve's Deputy Chief of Media Relations, John Bradley, tells FedScoop some reservists may have to report to a branch facility in person to make the switch. But the command didn't specify which reservists would be able to change remotely and which would have to report to a facility to do it. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at FedScoop.com. It's not too early to plan for IT Mod Week. It's coming February. 28th through March 4th. More than 100 events will happen around D.C. with lots of government and industry speakers. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Artificial intelligence will be a key component of the military's joint all-domain command and control, according to Brigadier General John Olson. He's mobilization assistant to the Chief of Space Operations, General Jay Raymond. Bill Marion's managing director at Accenture Federal Services. He's former deputy chief information officer at the Air Force and writing about the future success of JADC2. Bill, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You write, the success of JADC2 requires a living systems approach. What's a living systems approach in how does it work? Welcome, Bill. Uh, thanks for the invite uh, today, Francis. Great to catch up again. I, I would say first and foremost in living systems is you see this in software development, this agile men mentality of like there's never a perfect answer. And so how do you build through a capability that's so big and so complex like JADC2? Uh, so there's the agility piece. I think there's also the focus on the human dimension, whether it's human-centered design or user experiences. How do you holistically bring this together? Because we oftentimes just address it from a technical perspective and not all the other issues around you know, culture and change management and all the things that go into a very large complex system. You write about six elements to building JADC2 as a living system, and we'll put a link to your piece in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The first one that you suggest is reconsidering the risk equation. What's that look like, Bill? I, I, frankly, it's, it's the uh, challenge of... Uh, being scared to let go, right? The legacy piece that we you 
you've written about this uh, and <laughs> lots of shows on it of how do you get rid of the baggage of the old, right? 70 to 80% of our current investments are in legacy. And when I say legacy, 10 to 20 years old. So how do you actually manage the risk and get to yes on the modernization? Again, even when you know it's not perfect, but it's far better than where you're at. So it's that resource re- rebalance to really get at, at true modernization. So you write in this piece, 50% solution that arrives when needed is much better than a 95% solution that <laughs> arrives after the battle's been lost. Too late for a solution uh, if the timing is not right. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that that's life, right? And so, again, it's that risk balance of you're not going to get to perfect. Realize that. But when are you good enough to get it into the field and get it moving and then again, just like Agile, reiterate, build on the MVP and, and scale. The second item you write about is rebalancing investments. And you write, DOD's traditionally been focused on buying things, platforms, kinetic weapon systems, hardware. That day is not over. It'll never be over, but it's changing dramatically, isn't it? A- absolutely. And I, w- I, was very, uh, I was very enthused when I saw Secretary Kendall's recent announcement of priorities. Because it was frankly the first time it, that I didn't see a piloted airframe in there. I think we've, we've got enough of those, but the new fight is going to be cyber. It's going to be economic. It's going to be world-class infrastructure. And so I think he really showed in, in his, his new priorities the focus there of unmanned, hypersonics, AIML. And so I, to me, it was the first really big pivot I've seen the Air Force take in, in my tenure. Third item's focusing on scale with experiments. What's that term mean? What's that terminology mean, Bill? I, I think we've erred too far. Um, it's good to be agile, but if the experiments don't truly get to scale in an enterprise the size of the Air Force. And so I do think we're missing more focus on the system to system, the big scale architectural integration of how all these things fit together. It is a hard problem, right? But I think the recognition and the investments just haven't been there to really bring a holistic design together. So experimentation MVPs are outstanding, but if they're not done with a a full holistic design in place, I, I think we're undercutting uh, the value of those in experiments. Fourth item is embracing human-centered design. We've talked about human-centered design a lot on this show in a number of different <laughs> contexts. What does that mean in a warfighting context, Bill? Uh, I think it's just changing the equation, right? I mean, it's all about outcomes. You know, it used to be a number of bombs, you know, released, then it became bombs on target. I, I think this is truly, again, if you believe that it's going to become a more of a non-kinetic fight, it's going to be more of the holistic human in the loop. How are we affecting the holistic design of warfighting as we know it? And so that's, again, where AI and data become really game changers. So putting the humans at the center of design is really putting the humans at the center of decision making and really retuning it from a kinetic fight into a non-kinetic, almost a mental fight, right? Mm-hmm. Cyber and the like. Humans are at the center of the last two items that you write about here, recruiting for (laughs) urgent workforce needs and scaling workforce development efforts. The people piece of this is maybe the most important, it sounds like, the way you're prioritizing it it among the people process technology, Bill. Yeah, and we've got a a phrase inside of Accenture that I love, which is buy, build, borrow, bot. And so I, I think using those four equations of, again, when do you contract out? When do you build your workforce? When do you RPA it? Right. And when you you kind of have a hybrid across all of those and and also develop your workforce. And so I I think, again, as we enter into these problems, if you use those four levers the right way with the right problem, we oftentimes we pivot too hard to borrow. We we pivot too hard to talent management in our existing workforce. I, I think a holistic design, again, living systems wise, is look across those four equations and then based upon the project, where do you increase your odds of success? In some cases, 
bought more of it, in some case, borrow more of it, in some cases, build it, right? But I, I think using that holistic design is really where we try to focus with our clients. You write in this piece, the Defense Department started to grow its own talent, for instance, through the Austin, Texas Soldier Software Factory. These efforts can be substantially expanded. Are there potential unintended consequences or mistakes that could happen that would impede the expansion like that, Bill? Well, again, I, I think I think those initiatives are outstanding and we we absolutely ought to do them and we ought to try to scale them. But again, I think given the workforce challenges and we're seeing this on industry, just like in the government, you can't just use one solution to scale. So I can, it kind of goes back to the prior one of, you know, use one of your four Bs. And, and this, is, this is part of that equation, right? This is the build your talent workforce. But I, I think we got to take it up a notch again from a living system to look across all the four Bs we have certainly not leveraged the bots and the RPAs as much as we should in a highly mechanized you know, organization like the defense. We, we ought to. So I think it's part of that is scaling talent management that you can do, but also using the other four Bs holistically across the, the defense is something we need to we need to focus on more. This is obviously a long term project, Jed C2. How does one judge the success of it both in progress to make sure that it's staying on track? and in its mature form when or if that is ever the case. Maybe this is the kind of thing that continues to iterate, continues to transform, and is never really finished, finished. And, and that's why I go, I kind of end the, the blog with really this focus on people, because I think the one we oftentimes don't grade ourselves enough on, but that's the long-term growth of JADC2. We've got to build the data experts. We've got to build the AIML experts. We've got to build the folks that are really working the cyber side and all the non-kinetic elements. So I, I do think from a long-term win strategy, we've got to start grading ourselves more on the talent management than we do today, not just on the project's delivery at a timeline. And then second, I, I think there is the holistic design. How are we bringing these experiments to holistic delivery, not just in their individual stovepipes, I think is the other big, big metric that I would say put in. So kind of the micro to the macro is experimentation success, but how that's starting to, to kind of work its way out into a holistic design. And then in parallel of that, the workforce development and using the four Bs to, to grade ourselves. Bill Marion of Accenture, it's great to have you on the program. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Francis. You can find a link to Bill's piece about JADC2 in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. IT leaders from the Energy Department, the IRS, the State Department, and the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center at the Pentagon are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It's Wednesday, January 19th at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. You can read more about it, see the agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Trusting the elephant will be an important element of success for Army Space and Missile Defense Command, according to Colonel Sam Glover. He's Deputy Chief of Staff for G8 Resource Management at Space and Missile Defense Command. He was on a panel I hosted for the Association of Federal Information Resources Management, a firm, recently, and I asked him what he means by trusting the elephant. Stephen Covey wrote a book about uh, maybe almost 15, 20 years ago called The Speed of Trust. And if you think about, uh, you know, trusting agile, amazing organizations into the future, something that probably comes to mind is uh, you think about Amazon, you think about, uh, of course, Elon Musk going out into space, you think about Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin, uh, but no one thinks about the Army <laughs> as what you would trust going to the digital highway as big as we are. Uh, so the elephant, believe it or not, is the Army, 
and uh, our great, amazing soldiers, civilians, and family members trusting us as we start to make the shift uh, of going to the digital age. Uh, so it's just a powerful time for us. And uh, like I said, everyone gets a little leery. They, they know about the amazing size of the elephant. They know that it's trustworthy. They know that it takes a little while to get there, but great memories, great strength in reference to what it provides. But uh, the digital highway uh, can be a little uh, interesting because you think about the combat zone, everyone trusts the Army soldier. They, they, they think about whether it's Army, Air Force, Marines uh, getting out there, making it happen. But you get a little more leery with where we're at in this COVID environment. Uh, and when you think about the Army leading technology and uh, the big thing that we've had to do a big paradigm shift of going to teams. So you all have Zoom. Uh, we had to shift to teams, uh, Army 365, uh, ERP. So we'll go into further discussion, but this exciting sort of revolution that's taking place. If someone had told me I have, uh, I'm actually have switched positions now. So I'm at the Army Material Command. I'm the G8 mill depth for them. So uh, we have depots and uh, all across the, the uh, all across the world in reference to how we sort of support our soldiers. And when I was with space, we had space units uh, that were there. And uh, particularly as we sort of push towards that piece of out in space right now, satellites. Uh, you're, you're talking about space rockets. Us taking. Uh, uh, transition out there, a trillion dollar industry. But uh, what really sparked my attention about all of this uh, exciting period was the fact that the digital trust age, if you think about uh, maybe five, 10 years ago, most of us either wrote a check or gave somebody, a, 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 you know, cash, you know, as far as taking care. So you look at how uh, Angie's list, you look at a Facebook uh, e eBay likes, not likes. So we'll go into more discussion, but uh, we've been transitioning now. So for the military to say, hey, uh, my case example, we've got about 90 personnel and only about 10 to 15 people in office. We've got 70 to 80 people that are not in office and I'm trusting them to make sure that we take care of our war fighters and our great Americans and civilians all across the world, uh, resourcing our great workforce, but also our great combat operations. Sam, I take your point that people might not think of the Army as one of those cutting edge technology companies, but you threw a couple of terms out there, uh, Army 365 and using teams and so on. Um, and I know from looking at the Army's digital strategy, which if I could get a shameless plug in, um, <laughs> the information officer of the Army, Raj Iyer, will be my guest on my new program, the Daily Scoop podcast on yeah. Friday. Um, but this is... The things that you talked about there are important underpinning elements of the way the Army does business, and they're all technology-based the way that you just described them, Sam. I'm, am I on the right track? No, you totally are. Uh, you know, I, I will also sort of highlight that, uh, you know, there was a time period, if you go back since uh, I've been doing a lot of research on World War I and World War II, uh, you know, a lot of research and development was led by the Department of Defense, led by government. This paradigm shift that we're taking place now, a lot of innovation is led, like I talked about, uh, Elon Musk, uh, Jeff Bezos. And, uh, and of course, uh, I think about total quality management when Edward Deming is trying to get the support of all the American companies here because they've got so many other great ideas they work with. He has to go all the way to Japan to get Honda and Toyota to support his ideas. Uh, so if you look at that piece of it, where we're at right now, Although a lot of great investment is done by the Department of Defense, I will also highlight a lot of great uh, investment is done by the commercial industry. But we also have to partner to make sure that we're prepared uh, in the digital age. 
you know, one of the things that we would be concerned with Zoom, uh, a platform, of course, that we're using now, which amazing families are using for Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthdays, all kinds of amazing events. We've got to make sure that that is a secure environment so that our enemies and competitors aren't able to uh, hack or get into those. So we have, you know, going to Microsoft Teams. So those are key things. And uh, if you think about the mere fact that we would have done a secure VTC or been in the office or done telephone calls or done board meetings or big conferences, uh, for the mere uh, understanding that now we are doing a lot of great work, a lot of um, awesome meetings like right now over teams. So the ability not just for senior leaders to feel comfortable, but our junior supervisors and, uh, and team members to say, hey, I'm going to give my butt a chat. I'm going to give him a tweet, <laughs> something like that to connect. Uh, so it was just so very powerful. And then at the same time for us, we did a paradigm shift going from, you know, Microsoft, uh, you know, regular office to Army 365. We wanted to make sure the package is a little more catered towards us and how we do business. I sort of laughed uh, 20 years ago, 2001 and two, I was a part of, I had a staff member that didn't want to go from typing to from word perfect to office <laughs> cell. And my mom was a typing teacher. So I totally get this transition of, you know, from the typewriter to word perfect to Word, to now Army 365. So the Army has some cutting edge things like you're talking about, but we have to make sure our workforce is prepared. And that's a big part of the Army's talent management strategy as we try to move forward. Colonel Sam Glover of Army Space and Missile Defense Command at the Affirm event, Empowering Government with Emerging IT. You can find a link to watch the entire event in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Here's a look ahead at what's coming for the holidays. You'll get a new Daily Scoop podcast tomorrow, and then we're off on the 24th for Christmas Eve. Then new shows again next week, Monday through Thursday, with a preview of what you should watch in the new year, and then off again next Friday for New Year's Eve. Back at it January 3rd with a great lineup of guests for 2022. The next Daily Scoop podcast, tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Department of Justice says its biggest IT transformation project in 2022 will be implementing zero trust architecture. Melinda Rogers will lead that implementation. She's the chief information officer at DOJ. In a recent episode of the FedScoop video series, Zero Trust Begins with Better Password Protection, she tells me the cyber EO came at a good time for her agency. We at DOJ have been evaluating zero trust uh, even before the publication of the EO. We actually started a small pilot about a year ago uh, looking at ways to extract savings from our networking infrastructure. Uh, certainly the publication of the EO is actually helping us in our endeavor, pushing the initiative into the limelight. And especially now that we have this macro level mandate uh, in place that we are trying to uh, meet and answer the mail for uh, coincides and nicely with what we had originally intended to explore and pursue and put in place for justice to enhance our IT security posture. Um, at Justice, we work hard to continue to improve and not be complacent or rest on our laurels. This was one of the things that, like I said, I we started to look at and now really um, the EO has accelerated our timeline and push for this effort. Um, one of the biggest challenges uh, that we face now is uh, as we look to embrace zero trust within our environment, 
is to look at how do we reconcile the architecture with what we already have in place, which is our optimized trusted internet connections. A few years ago, we at Justice invested significant time, energy, and brain power towards modernizing our trusted internet connection infrastructure. Um, and with the infusion into the rolling in of zero trust, I think ultimately it's going to be a balancing act of looking at how do we potentially surgically put in place the, the benefits of each of these frameworks and ultimately uh, figure out how do we use the zero trust framework where it's appropriate and how do we continue to leverage the visibility that the trusted internet connection framework allows us to uh, essentially perform the inspection of traffic to prevent the uh, bad stuff from coming in and the good stuff from going out. So there's a lot more work ahead of us, but it's interesting, it's challenging, and frankly, it's exciting. When you shifted to remote work, or primarily remote work, like everybody else did 18 months or so ago, how did that change the way that you approached identity, multi-factor authentication, and so on, Melinda? Well, gosh, yeah, that was uh, certainly almost an overnight exercise. Uh, however, we were tracking what was happening in the news with uh, the global pandemic and started uh Fair warning, if you will, by looking at our list of employees and contractors, those with our uh, personal identification verification cards, we can see which ones have cards with certificates expiring, which ones have cards expiring. So we were actually pushing to get a lot of our employees and contractors to renew and up their uh, credentials before what at the time we were anticipating that remote work teleposture, we just didn't anticipate it to be uh, 18 months later, still sort of more or less in this uh, uh, setup. Um, using two, uh, using multi-factor authentication continues to be an imperative for us. And we continue to align with HSPD 12 requirements, which is using the PIV cards as the second form factor for authentication. We do require it, it in many of the cases, if not most of all of our uh, employees and contractors to access our networks, our applications, to leverage PIV cards as that second form factor. Um, to date, we are actually at 97% uh, PIV card issuance rate across our entire organization. That is a uh, significant accomplishment. Obviously, we have all of our component offices to uh, thank for their support in making sure that that actually happens because we do also have offices across the country across the globe. So it is not a small feat for us to get to this point. Our next steps and focus areas will be on continuing to enhance the implementation of using that second form factor as a authentication mechanism and perpetuating that throughout the organization across all of our systems. Every organization seems to be facing an explosion of phishing attacks, Melinda. How are you working with your employees, helping to train them up so that they can resist these phishing attacks, help keep them off your network? That is a uh, longstanding challenge that we've had to deal with and we continue to deal with. And I have to say, I'm extremely proud of our cybersecurity staff who have continued to put in place uh, different training exercises uh, throughout the years, frankly. And the, those training exercises have actually become more sophisticated, much like our actors, our adversarial actors as well, where today uh, we're leveraging um, this training forum where we actually create these phishing emails and we take a person's name. For example, we could send an email to a Francis Rose and see if you will have the propensity to click on that link because it is addressed to you personally. 
And again, the message there is if it's from an unknown party, you should not be clicking on that. Uh, we have seen that uh, taken effect over the years. I mean, this is not an overnight exercise for us. This is just part of our DNA, frankly. We've been pushing those um, different training uh, modules out every month. Over the years, we cycle through different component offices. We use different themes. Um, I like to um, use this as an example. One year we had um, the theme of the email phishing campaign. The training exercise was what's considered an appropriate summer wardrobe for the workplace. Let me tell you, our uh, email campaign lit, lit up like a, like a uh, switchboard because everybody apparently had an opinion to say about that. But that was what's interesting about sort of the human reaction to is our propensity to give our opinion on some of these uh, topics. But the key here is don't click on links that come from entities you're not familiar with. So that is an ongoing effort and one that uh, we at the department take very seriously. And our employees have been, um, I would say, uh, trained to take that seriously as well. Ultimately, that message came, comes from the top. It's a tone from our leadership office. They take cybersecurity seriously and all of our employees take that very seriously as well. If you have an employee at the Justice Department named Francis Rose, I'd like to meet him. Um, <laughs> um, yes. What are you doing organizationally to help employees create and manage passwords, do it in a stronger way? We still see these reports that people are using password one and stuff like that. Yes, uh, uh, that's it's a, uh, it's a journey. How's that? Um, we've come very far over the last several years, but we continue to strive towards a passwordless uh, enterprise and organizational approach. Um, it is, uh, it, we, we, Rome is not built in one day, but this is something that we do take very seriously. We actually stopped um, using uh, user ID and password as a way to gain an access into our network several years ago. Um, Francis, you'll remember my predecessor, Joe Klemovich, this started even when he was here that we went to that PIV card as a circum form factor to be used to authenticate oneself into the network. Um, this is especially relevant as we continue to adopt uh, a zero trust architecture, uh, knowing who is accessing our environment, which devices are accessing our environment that continues to play a role in helping us achieve that uh, perhaps utopia state of getting to a zero password state. We are looking at different technologies, different processes. I know I talked about uh, the PIV card quite a bit here, but the reality is not the it is not the end all be all. It can't be a one size fits all either. There are cases where we might have an administrator user with special access to a very unique application where the PIF card is just not compatible. So we have to have a way to find alternatives for that. So while we do have a dominant approach in terms of the, common, the lowest common denominator is using PIF cards for everybody wherever we can, wherever that's possible. We are actively working with our component IT offices in collaboration with them to identify those different edge use cases where we might be looking at a PKI-based hardware token or some other form that's not PIV, that's definitely not password, but that can support our mission offices. Melinda Rogers, the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Justice. You can find a link to watch my video recording with Melinda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms that you might choose. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the 
entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The next Daily Scoop podcast is tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. 